1: This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. He
2: takes everybody up. Messi has got it!
1: From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe. From Zlatan Ibrahimović's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair... Blue
3: Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles.
1: New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is gonna go. Touchdown.
2: Yeah, you heard it there. This is Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. He is Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. And joining us today for this edition of the Old Rush, where we're re-watching games from the uh, 49ers. We're starting with the 2011 season. We have Neil Kulong, who is my boss at the USA Today Sports Media Group. Uh, used to cover the Steelers and is extremely familiar with uh with the Steelers team that the 49ers hosted in week 15 of the 2011 season so Neil I'm going to toss it to you first uh how are things going uh in the pandemic are are we are we staying safe yeah we're we're definitely
3: safe it's great to be here it's great to uh to talk football even the lack of it uh that we have going on right now but um definitely safe the family's good we're uh we're hoping to get schools back open here in the Pittsburgh area come August and hopefully we've got some football to watch too.
2: Yeah something other than the 2011 49ers which Chris as we've talked about before the 2011 Niners just haven't really aged well (laughs) (laughs) From, from the football we're seeing now. Yeah particularly
4: because if you just pit them against the current version of the 49ers it just looks like a completely different sport and we keep saying that over and over again but I mean, particularly on the offensive side, there are similarities from sort of a a production standpoint, you could make the case. But just what the offense looked like now versus or under Jim Harbaugh versus what it looks like now is uh, it it just couldn't be on the opposite side of the spectrum in in terms of creativity and and everything like that. And this game was sort of a classic example of it. We're talking about it right before we got on here. Like it was just a defensive game. And, I mean, if you like defensive football, it was a great game. The 49ers, right. you know, sacked Ben Roethlisberger a bunch of times. Um, the Steelers played really good defense. The Niners' offense was predictably uh, not super productive, but did, was able to take advantage of a couple opportunities, or at least one opportunity in particular in the second half, which we'll talk about. Um, but I think the thing for me, t- taking away from this game, it was like that was the most hyped home game going into it in a really long time. Like, the 49ers were in the middle of, what, an eight-year playoff drought? Right. Um, And this was, like, you know, two teams, two teams for sure going to the playoffs. The Steelers were the number two or three seed at the time. They needed every win they could get. Um, The fact that the Steelers lost this game, spoiler alert, ended up being huge in the standings. Uh, and, and ultimately led to their first-round exit in the playoffs, which we can also talk about. Sorry to bring that up, Neil. But, um, but yeah, this game was just sort of the, the, the like, the atmospheric candlestick really stood out to me. Everybody was standing the entire game. Um, people were really excited to see that version of the 49ers back in playoff contention against a high-profile opponent in the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger Monday night. Well. And then you had... Then you had the power go out right before the game started, causing a 20-minute delay. And then you had another, what, 16-minute delay early in the second quarter with the lights going out again. Um, something with the 49ers and, and the lights going out. Uh, something weird about that. But, Kyle, you were there in the stands. What, what was the atmosphere like during the first power outage? And did you sense it? Like by the time the game started, the crowd was... Was made, maybe had a little bit more energy than it normally would because they had been sitting through that power outage like that.
2: Yeah, especially since the crowd of 60-plus thousand was maybe, like, 40% Steeler fans.
1: Mm.
2: Like, when usually when the opposing team would come out, it would be a lot of boos. But when the opposing team came out on this Monday night, it was... It was a lot of cheering. It was a lot of the, the Homer hankies or whatever they have there. Uh, the terrible towels. So it was about 60% Niner fans, 40% Steeler fans. Typically when the opposing team would come out, there would be a loud chorus of boos. This time, instead of the booing, it was a lot of cheering and the, the Homer hankies or whatever they have there. Uh, <laughs> the, a lot of terrible towels in the stands, a lot of yellow so I, I definitely think that helped the vibe. I think if this is a, a you know game against the Browns or something, I, I think I think the lights going out might have might have hurt. But this made it a little bit different. It gave a gave a even weirder vibe to an already pretty electric night. I I I don't remember exactly uh, how I was feeling as a fan going in, but I'm typically. Uh, when I was in my early twenties, very pessimistic, <laughs> and and given that the Niners are coming off a loss to to the Cardinals uh, down in Arizona, I was probably exceptionally pessimistic. Neil, the Steelers went into this game, and let me let me set the scene real quick. Both teams are ten and three going in. The Niners were favored by three points. The over under here was thirty seven, which is super low. Which didn't hit. It did not hit. It did not get there. Uh, but Neil. Going into this one, the Steelers know they don't have James Harrison. Uh, ben Roethlisberger was banged up. They they. What, what do you remember about this Niner team in 2011 and having the Steelers go into Candlestick to face
3: The the big thing I remember going into that game was it, it was circled as a loss weeks in advance. I mean, you could see what San Francisco had defensively. And the, the main two things I think about um, when it came to, to 49ers defense back then is Justin Smith and Alden Smith. And it, Alden Smith at that point I, was really starting to come out as one of the best defensive players in the game. And you watched him, the guy was just freakish. I mean, he was like a snake. Coming off the line, he, he was so difficult to block the Steelers didn't have a great offensive line uh, that year. They didn't have a great offensive scheme. Um, that, that would get shaken up tremendously over the next couple of years. But by and large, it looked like a bad matchup on paper. Um, each season with the Steelers, and this isn't to, to pat them on the back and wave six Lombardis around or anything, but each year, there's an opponent or two that's on the schedule, usually in a road game, where you know that the fans are really, really up to see the Steelers come to town to right. test kind of an up-and-coming team. The Steelers had two of them that year. They were at Houston and they were at San Francisco. In both of those games, it was like, uh, I don't know, it just might be too much. Uh, just considering what's at stake for the opponent. It's really hard to go in and win road games like that, and that's why you don't see teams going 16-0. and I saw San Francisco as an up-and-coming team. I, I saw them as you know fully capable of... of uh, advancing to the Super Bowl. I mean Green Bay looked uh, you know pretty much invincible at that point, but San Francisco was an excellent defensive team and there, there's no statistic you could look at that didn't show that. And I, I knew they would be an incredible problem. And on top of that, when when you're down James Harrison, who still at this point is an outstanding defensive player. You know, he's probably not quite defensive player of the year like he was a couple years earlier, but he's still a great player, and they had no depth at all defensively right. that year. Um, having him out and having Joe Schmo and, and you know his brave band of nobodies behind him, having to step in and play against even a mediocre offense like San Francisco had – they were going to struggle to come up with plays, which was really the, the M.O. of the Steelers that season. Their defense had a, a shockingly low amount of takeaways uh, for what you'd expect from a, a team that was averaging uh, like 17 points a game allowed, something like that. I didn't think they were going to measure up, um, and it, it really lived up to everything I thought it was going to be. I, I didn't feel one way or another at the end of it. It was like, yeah, that's pretty much exactly how I thought it was going to play out.
4: Yeah, that that game to me sort of encapsulated what the 49ers were just over that entire season. They got four takeaways. They only managed 20 points, but they held the Steelers to three. And it, you, if you look at just the numbers overall from the year, the Niners had the best defense um, or one of the best defenses, the best turnover rate. Obviously winning that game 4 nothing in the turnover department is going to be a huge factor in, in blowing out a team like that. The 49ers were 26th in yardage and 11th in scoring. So they were very much a team that was like really struggling to move the ball, but they were put in advent advantageous situations because Andy Lee was really good. I think to in the fourth quarter, this one said that the Steelers didn't have a drive that started uh, beyond their own 30 yard line, which speaks to Andy Lee playing really well. The kickoff coverage playing really well. Um, Tony Montana too. That was the, the Tony Montana squad was really starting to blossom at this point, that's that's right around when when the whole thing started. Um, so, yeah, I mean, looking back at that game, it was very much like, oh, this is exactly who the 49ers are.
3: Yeah, to point out to Andy Lee, the Pittsburgh graduate, he had two killer punts in that game. I remember one of them. He's stuck inside the two. I think it landed and it went straight to the side, straight out of like a Madden video game. I mean, it's just incredible. It was The, the 49ers to me were, were that type of team. You saw them doing everything except um, scoring points. I mean, they really they, they were effective enough on the ground, but you look at the first drive in that game as well. Alex Smith missed two wide open receivers in the end zone. Um, and again, they're, they're not playing against nobody defensively either. I mean, I, I get that. Uh, Pittsburgh should be able to, to stop them by and large but they moved the ball fairly well and they had their shots in the red zone uh, for the most part Smith didn't convert on a lot of them you know in other words I, I think it could have been 30 to three more than anything um, it, it, if not for uh, it seemed like a, a couple sputterings on you know San Francisco's offense but by and large I, I thought uh, San Francisco lost everything but the score and it still seemed one-sided even if Pittsburgh uh, they they won in time of possession. They won in plays. They won in yards. Uh, everything except for score and takeaways. And oftentimes that's really the mark of a game.
2: One well, to that point and more of a reason this game was really just uh, kind of the quintessential 2011 49ers game. They won the turnover battle in this one for nothing. That made it 35 to 10 in the turnover column for the Niners uh, at this point. Going into a, or coming out of Week 15, they were plus 25. Uh, in in the turnover column, which which is really just kind of how this team won games, despite the fact their offense was, uh, Neil, you you sent us a text. that was like uh, we were talking about receivers and how the Steelers develop wide receivers really well, and and, and you made a joke that was not really really a joke that uh, the Niners had to force the ball to Michael Crabtree a lot in 2011, and that was kind of that and Vernon Davis was really the extent of of their passing game, uh, and and they had to rely a lot. On turnovers to to win games because they giving themselves short fields and uh, 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 controlling the football was was how they went about was how they went about their business. But Ben Roethlisberger threw three picks in this one, but he was definitely not a hundred percent. I remember he was hurt uh, pretty badly, but there are points in this game where he gets up off the ground and you wonder if he's going to make it. He's he's very seriously banged up. Why, Neil, was the Steelers... Or why were the Steelers rolling with Roethlisberger despite the fact he was playing on half a leg?
3: I'm trying to look back and remember who the, the backup quarterback was back then. It was, it was Byron still, Leftwich, and he was out. Yeah, he might, Leftwich got hurt at some point in there as well. Um, Charlie Batch, who I think was older than I am now... <laughs> They, they used him with some success, without a whole lot of success. But I, I think Leftwich was hurt. And Roethlisberger, if he could play, he's going to play. I mean, that's just the way that it's been. Right. Uh, but looking back on it, and he didn't say this after the game. He took credit for the loss. He, he didn't play well. Uh, he says those things. It's never a question of whether he should have played or not. Um, that one, to me, he, he didn't look right. Um, a couple yeah. of those interceptions sailed. He had, I, I remember one of them, I think it was the second one, maybe the third one that he threw. Um, he had Heath Miller over the middle of the field, probably 15 to 18 yards, and he, he stepped into it probably shorter than he should have, which is kind of a sign that my foot right. isn't right. It was his plant ankle, and he sailed it. I mean, he missed him bad. Heath Miller is a pretty big guy, and he left his feet by a, a pretty good amount, and he didn't even get a fingertip on it. So, yeah. things like that, it's like, that's a, that's a technical issue. That's not a, a mistake. That That's the receiver the ball should have gone to, and Ben just missed it badly. Um, he wouldn't miss like that if he was healthy, in my opinion. Yeah, he got knocked around a couple times. Um, certainly Smith took care of that. He made sure Ben was, yeah. was eating as much turf as he could. Uh, they, they beat him up bad, and that, that's what that defense did. And that, that's what they needed to do. Um, and he fumbled, too. Keep that in mind. He threw three interceptions. He lost a fumble, yeah. too. I think he fumbled twice and <laughs> lost a fumble so it, it been just one of those Ben games you know really <laughs> we've seen a few of those um, they happen probably a little more often than, than you might think talking to talking to the average very pro uh, steeler Yinzer but it, it, he didn't look good um, and that's a real tough game I mean you know you you have to have your quarterback at 100% to beat a team like that it's hard right. to do um, I say that knowing that they beat Eli twice as bad in the NFC championship game that year and somehow lost that but uh, that was that was a great 49ers team. They were really good. It was fun to watch. Um, like I, I went into it assuming the Steelers were going to lose. You, you don't win them all, and cross country Monday night games against great defenses usually don't end your end in your favor anyway. So
4: right, yeah. So so that game, there were uh, six points scored in the first half, uh, both field goals by the 49ers. Go figure. Um, coming the first game to end a 17 play, 69 yard drive which is hilarious, and then uh, the next one went 25 yards over nine plays. Um, then uh, the Steelers responded with a field goal in the third quarter. They also had a missed field goal, um, and then the 49ers scored a pair of touchdowns, one to Vernon Davis and another to Frank Gore, which we can talk about. But, um, Kyle, what what were some things from the broadcast that uh, that stuck out to you um, What going back through it? Because this one is a little bit unique because it is a Monday night game, and it's a, it's a little bit – the broadcast felt a little bit bigger than the other afternoon games that we've done uh, so far in these old rush lookbacks.
2: I miss John Gruden calling football games more than I ever thought I would. Really? Yes. I did not expect you to say that. <laughs> I it, well, here's here's the thing like I'm not uh, with very minimal exceptions, I'm not learning a lot from whatever analysis is happening. So, give me something that's at least entertaining. And John Gruden, say what you want about him, he's wildly entertaining. Because he says, like, I I made the joke on, on Twitter that if John Gruden rated Madden players, everybody would be a 99. Right. And while it's not awesome from a I'm trying to learn something and be a football guy standpoint as a viewer just kind of watching it back it's like oh man this is, this adds a nice little touch to this game where i already know the outcome so i i miss john gruden being in my life every monday night um i miss john gruden giving vernon davis credit for his toughness and grit because he fell forward for a first down um i, can I just I you,
4: can i tell you my favorite john gruden line from the uh, from the broadcast
2: yeah well we'll step on one of our categories it's fine
4: okay well i think Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, sorry about that. Well, all right.
4: Um, he said, uh, and I quote, Kyle Williams has been a guy who comes up big in clutch situations for the 49ers recently, um, which is funny. Yikes. <laughs> which is funny because that wasn't, that wasn't always true. That might have been true when John Gruden said it because Kyle Williams was having a nice little stretch there um, towards the, the second half of the season, and he had a few catches and third down conversions in this game. But of course, Kyle Williams, as 49ers fans are well aware, muffed two punts in the NFC title game against the Giants, and uh, and the 49ers wound up losing that. So that was notable, um, and it was it just like made me chuckle how John Gruden was talking about how clutch Kyle Williams is. And of course, I had the benefit of hindsight, but still a funny right. moment.
2: Uh, quick quick note: since we already talked about Ben Roethlisberger's interceptions. Uh, Carlos Rogers and Deshaun Goldson both got ints number six uh, on the season. Their their sixth interceptions uh, are the highest by a forty nine er since then. They have not had a player get to six picks in a year since two thousand uh, and eleven. I want to get back to. I want to get back to the James Harrison situation. Because I think if, you know, you're going to talk about Ben Roethlisberger being hurt and, and some of the side effects of that, taking James Harrison out of the middle of that, or out of that Steelers defense, out of that front seven, is, is a pretty big blow for, for, that, for a really good unit. Neil, why was James Harrison not playing? I just assumed he was suspended. He was.
3: He was suspended. He was suspended for a hit on then-Browns quarterback Colt McCoy the week before.
2: Oh, that's right.
3: Incidentally, it was the same game where Ben hurt his ankle um, that that led to it. This was the last of... Harrison's several fine-worthy hits against Browns players, <laughs> and I—I I think this one might have been the worst. It—it was—it was pretty savage. Harrison didn't even leave his feet this time. He just went in forehead first in, into McCoy's head, uh, and McCoy dropped real quick. But this one was was interesting because the the the, the keep in mind this is the beginning of all of the the. Uh, um, you know the, the suspension era of the NFL, we, we didn't see many of these prior to that. We saw some pretty nasty things on a football field. It took a lot to get suspended for on-field activity, uh, really before Roger Goodell tried to, to blame James Harrison for, for player safety issues. And he earned that reputation to some degree. But it, the, the hit on McCoy, uh, McCoy was outside the pocket, and he had just delivered the ball when Harrison hit him. So you, you've got a couple things with this. One was how Harrison hit him, which I don't. I hope that no high school football coach is teaching a kid to hit him <laughs> like that. Uh, it, two was whether or not he's a, a runner afforded the same protections um, right. as, as a quarterback would. So that was, was highly controversial at the time. But after you saw it, after Harrison's history, it was like, yeah, we can argue as much as we want. There's no way he's not getting suspended. So it, it was definitely a big blow, but at the same time, you know, you wouldn't see that today. You know, for example, Lamar right. Jackson wouldn't be hit like that. Even if you could catch him, nobody would touch him like that because it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to do it. That's what a decade ago, Goodell and the NFL wanted to put into place. They, they didn't want defenders feeling like they could just hit a player any way they want because of where he is on the field. So. You can see in action kind of what uh what started with all of that, and Harrison, I think was the main linchpin of all of it, so uh that was the the one game he was suspended for that uh for for play on the field uh well for anything I guess really um and it was one I think he definitely earned, and incidentally, the Browns put Colt McCoy back on the field in that game, and they lost so <laughs> That's a loss of Colt McCoy on the field, wow. Imagine that. 49ers legend Colt him.
2: McCoy. So. <laughs> that's right, he was a 49er.
4: <laughs> yeah, I was there. He was not uh, he was not a particularly big person. So like getting hit by James Harrison like that. I remember the hit like
2: James Harrison is a big person. <laughs>
4: yeah, he's a large and he's also quite strong. I don't know if you if you have a Twitter ac- or an Instagram account, but he uh, he's definitely definitely up there.
2: Still so, the the reason I asked that was because I wanted to get to this this part. The most memorable thing from this game, I remember two things. I was there, and I, I have a couple fan interactions that I that I want to I want to get to in a mo- in a moment. But the the two things that stand out are the Carlos Rogers interception of Ben Roethlisberger on the Steelers' first drive, and I remember that because it happened right in front of where my mom's seats were, and I, I saw it coming the whole way. Um, so that stood out. And then the lights going out during the second quarter, um, the transformer kicked off before the game or blew up before the game. I didn't mean to use kicked off, but the transformer blew up before the game outside the stadium lights go out. Chris alluded to that earlier. Uh, there was a 16 minute delay on, on, on the start of the game. And then the lights went out again during the game and James Harrison (laughs) tweeted while the lights were out quote if I can't play then can't nobody play lights out which is a very James Harrison thing to say it also wouldn't surprise me if he was there like chewing on wires or something and (laughs) and like breaking down walls with his bare hands and then firing off that tweet after making the lights at Candlestick go out.
3: I think Steelers fans were worried that Harrison was going to go after Goodell in New York while the game was going on, <laughs> try to hunt him down or something. But it was For, for all of the, the controversy that came out of that, all of the argument, that, you know, a lot of deep-seated resentment among Steelers fans at that point, it, Harrison's tweet was one of the funniest things that possibly could have been said at that moment. It, it, it's... It, lights went out during an NFL game, and the thing I think about the most in that game is Harrison's tweet. Uh, just, It was so well-timed, it was so funny, and it really, in, in many ways, kind of encapsulated a, a, a bizarre year for a 12-4 team that you never really felt all that confident about. Uh, Harrison not playing in the game and, and cracking the line of the game really kind of ties it all together in a weird way all right well let's uh
4: let's take a quick break and then after that we'll uh, we'll get to our categories for the game guys there's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners betonline.ag sports are slowly making their way back and bet online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all ufc nascar boxing and soccer matches and if you need even more they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Look for something else. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BlueWire for a free welcome bonus. That's one word: BlueWire. BetOnline, your online wagering expert.
2: All right, let's get to our categories. We're gonna change them up a little bit because this isn't a typical a typical broadcast where we've got game breaks to remember and things like that. I want to start off with the remember him category because 2011 is a really good like pocket for random NFL players. A couple that stood out on the Steelers. One was Jericho Kochery which I had no recollection of him ever playing for the Steelers. Uh, but he certainly did. uh, Neil, your favorite Jericho Cotchery Steelers memories go.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the fact he was on the team. I, I remember it very well. Um, he, he, did he ten was, touchdowns in twenty thirteen. Yeah, I, that's the thing I was going to say about him. More than anything, he just he always found himself in the end zone. And it, it, what, what's funny, and I you know I won't go into to too much detail, but let's just say this: it, Ben Roethlisberger mentioned in two thousand four how he wanted a tall receiver. Steelers fans have carried that over year after year after year. The value <laughs> of a receiver on the Pittsburgh Steelers in the fans' eyes is completely dependent on how tall he is. And the fact that Jericho Cautry was not tall meant he was an absolute garbage signing. I think they signed him during training camp or something back in, I want to th- I, I think it was that year. I think that yeah, was his was first 2011. year on the team. Um, and then he went out and every pass he caught was a touchdown. And it was like, huh, this is interesting. Maybe we don't have to throw over the top of everybody all the time. Maybe some of these guys could just get open. I don't know. And keep in mind, too. This opens the door to Antonio Brown, another short receiver. Right, another really tall who guy. Caught a yeah. lot of touchdowns in the red zone. So, Cotterie was a good receiver. He really was. He wasn't the you know the, the fastest or the quickest guy out there, but he knew what he was doing. And he was a reliable target. Um, they wanted him back. I, who did he sign with after that? Was it Carolina Panthers? Yeah, yeah, 2013. Panthers gave him a few million more, I think. But the, the Steelers wanted to bring him back. He was good. He, he was a solid player.
2: I remember him with the Jets. Don't remember him with the Steelers or the or the Panthers. Uh, also, Moeldy Moore. I have no idea why Moeldie Moore's name sticks out to me. Maybe it's because it's Moeldie and that's a fun name to say. But when his name got called in the broadcast, I got so excited um, because I was happy to have Moeldy Moore back in my life for even even a fleeting moment. I'm What's surprised
3: you would have even remember him. He's pretty much a nobody outside of Pittsburgh.
4: Yeah, that, that, well, it makes sense. Um, one thing, and this isn't a category, but just something that's interesting to me because these are two sort of historic, signature NFL franchises, is particularly lately, like, the Steelers seem like they're constantly churning out really good receivers, and the 49ers are never churning out really good receivers. Um, so it, it was. it's just a funny contrast in, like, the fact that it seems like the 49ers have gone... A really, really long time since drafting a really good receiver duo, and I think you, I think you have to go back to Jerry Rice and Terrell Owens when they were actually on the on the team together um, in the late '90s. But like the St- the Steelers, you know, like Emmanuel Sanders didn't even play in this game with because he had a foot injury. Like he was on the team. It was it was Mike Wallace, Heinz uh, Ward, who I think was 35 at this point, and then uh, Antonio Brown who was uh, described, well, I guess we can get to that category now, he was described as uh, by Tariko as a likable second-year player, huh. um, which was interesting because it came long before Antonio Brown became like a megastar uh, and then a headache who uh, who wound up finding himself out of the league.
3: Brown was always a headache. <laughs> he was usually a superstar, but Antonio Brown, first off, became the, the first player... In NFL history, to have a thousand receiving yards and a thousand return yards in a year, uh, he was all—he was an All-Pro returner that season. His second season, um, he dipped a little bit in 2012, but t- 2013 on, he's a Hall of Fame player. Uh, he broke every Steelers right. receiving record that we saw. Um, getting to the point, just about tying in Cochery, then Wallace and Sanders. He put Wallace, Sanders, and Brown together. They called themselves. Uh, Young Money in Pittsburgh. That was a a, a nickname that wore out its welcome very quickly with people here. Um, The Steelers invested in uh, good receivers coaches. Scotty Montgomery was the coach at this point. Um, He kind of brought in the, the younger guys. And brought him, you know, Mike Wallace was, a, 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 he was the real superstar. Wallace's numbers, right. the first three years in the league, were unbelievable. Um, they, they tried to keep him, it didn't work. They took the money that they offered to Wallace that he turned down, uh, cut out the guarantees, and gave him to Antonio Brown. So they, they knew that they had something with Brown at that point, and Sanders was going to be their guy as well. They tried to come to terms with Sanders, um, didn't really work out. They had, they had some cap problems in the middle part of the decade. Couldn't really keep Sanders, but Brown was the guy that they wanted. And they also brought in uh, Richard Mann, who was a Pittsburgh native, uh, old-school wide receivers coach and a great coach, great mentor. And he, he was a big part of developing all of these guys. And the scouting department the Steelers had uh, focused on a, a few traits of a lot of these receivers while kind of capitalizing on what the college game is, was giving them. At that point, you've got the, the rise of the spread offense in college, Teams are throwing a lot more than they are in the NFL, and you're seeing a lot more tape of a lot more receivers across the board. The Steelers saw this coming, and from this point on, they, they started drafting receivers at least in the third round uh, most years. If they didn't, it's because they took two the year before. But they've always had a young group uh, with a, a solid, consistent coaching staff in place, and they, they trained them all the same way, to play a, a certain way. Under it, It'll be three offensive coordinators now throughout you know the the, the lifespan that we're talking about of these players. Um, it, it, it was Bruce Arians this season, uh, 2011. Then it was Todd Haley up until 2017. Then it's Randy Fickner, who's there now. Um, they've had three wide receivers coaches in that time as well, but they've they've stayed consistent with the types of guys that they've brought in. And it really, you know, it, it sounds uh, – kind of glib, but the reality is they just make a, a priority. They they don't need to draft a guy in the top 5. They know how to get him in the second and third round and they know what they're looking for. They they want guys with good feet, good balance. They know how to get themselves open. They've got some some, you know, prolific ability as demonstrated by their production in college. Um, and they're, they're they're guys that they're good route runners, they're good fundamental receivers, and they teach them kind of the rest as, as they go. They don't take the the physical freak who can't walk and chew gum at the same time. A guy like uh, Brashad Perryman, for example, right. um, you, know, you think that the 49ers are bad at bringing in receivers. Look at the Baltimore Ravens. They're awful. <laughs> and I, I'm saying this just because I had a conversation with a buddy of mine just today about this. They never brought in anybody because they don't know what they're looking for. That's why they draft Rashad Perriman. You know, right? This isn't the guy that they would have sniffed the field in Pittsburgh. He was horrible well, coming out.
4: Right. With with the 49ers, particularly recently, they've they've drafted four receivers in the last uh, what three drafts uh, before the the first the first um, or during the first three rounds. Starting with, uh, it was Dante Pettis a couple years ago, then Debo Samuel, um, and Jalen Hurd, and then this year with, uh, with Brandon Ayuk. All
2: right, so I want to jump into broadcast highlights, which we've talked about most of these, but John Gruden saying, what an effort by Vernon Davis when Vernon got wrapped up and fell forward for a first down on a third down. But it was really clear he was just looking to brace his fall as best as possible. And we've talked about 2011 Vernon Davis a lot. Not a big fan of getting hit. <laughs> Not a great breaker of tackles. And John Gruden lauding him for his extra effort trying to break a tackle when it was pretty clear he wasn't was was excellent.
4: Uh, during the – this was another broadcast highlight for me. We already mentioned James Harrison's tweet. Um, but when there was a fan running on the field during the second uh, – power outage or light outage um, a fan ran out on the field and then there was a cameraman right in front of Ben Roethlisberger who was talking to Byron Leftwich and, and Roethlisberger kind of looks into the camera and says where's James Harrison when you need him to uh you know presumably yeah. to, to take out the fan that was on the field which uh which was really funny and then um Ron Jaworski I totally forgot he was in the booth at this point three man booths don't work okay that's your <laughs> broadcasting take <laughs> they
2: don't ski
4: booths don't work. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Great, you know
4: what? Okay, that's fine. I think that might be the issue too. Um, he said. So Larry Grant had a really nice game. He had a couple pass breakups. Um, he was starting in place of Patrick Willis, who was out with a hamstring injury. And Jaws at the end of the game, uh, I, it was like late in the fourth quarter when it had been decided. He goes, Patrick Willis might have to earn his job back. Um, which was just, like, a completely asinine thing to say. And, like, of course, everybody chuckles and laughs because Grant had a nice game. But it was, like, that's not... It, Go ahead. Let's calm down. Right.
2: It's Larry Grant, bad FYI. announcer humor. Spoiler alert. Larry Grant going to play a big role in our next Old Rush. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's some good foreshadowing here. Turning point in this one, I think it was Roethlisberger's interception on the first drive. They were cruising. And they got down into the red zone. He throws a pick. The Niners go down and kick a field goal. Roethlisberger comes back, throws another pick. It was just, I, I, I think it was indicative of how the rest of the night was going to go.
3: Neil, what was yours? I, I'd probably go along those same lines. It was, it was deflating because now you're, you're playing exactly into the 49ers' hands, and you're doing that against a great defensive team, on the road on Monday night with, with a, a quarterback with a bum ankle. Whatever opportunity you might have had to win that game just, just you know sailed over the head of another receiver. It was yeah. it, it, it the exact opposite start that they would need, and that's the most obvious thing you'll hear ever. Um, it, it, it was a turning point because the 49ers then got to relax. They weren't going to have to worry about playing from behind. They weren't going to have to worry about Putting up a bunch of points, you know, right. if, if Mike Wallace broke free on a couple plays, which they had, by the way, and, and Ben missed the throw. So, it, if anything, Ben needed to come out and not do the Ben like things that he did, and he just couldn't help himself.
4: Yeah, I think the turning point for me, just to go off the, the beaten path a little bit here, was just late in the game when Alden <laughs> Smith really started to turn it on. Because, you know, we're midway or late in the third quarter. Um, you know, the Niners are only up by three. And the Steelers are moving the ball a little bit. And then for, you know, Alden Smith just turned into... Like, he went into God mode, basically. And was completely unblockable from, like, late in the third quarter all the way through the fourth. He finished with three sacks. He essentially put the game away uh, with a strip sack of Ben Roethlisberger that Justin Smith recovered. Justin Smith was also excellent in this game, like he, like he was basically all year. Um, but to me, like, once... The game ended once the Steelers realized they couldn't block Alden Smith uh, coming off the edge. And he was in a good groove. He had four sacks in his previous four weeks and then finished this game with three and really turned it on. Um, And at that point, like you knew Alden Smith was good, but you're like, like Neil said earlier on, you're like, oh, shit, this might be like one of the best guys in the entire league. Not even just like a good edge defender, like one of the best edge defenders.
2: Yeah, when he started to figure it out, and he was still just a nickel edge rusher at that point, uh, and when he started to figure it out, it got, it it, it got it got scary. Uh, things we forgot happened. I forgot that Ben Roethlisberger threw three interceptions and had a fumble. I remember the first one. I did not remember that he played as poorly as he did. He couldn't move. Well, like it was. Yeah. They were.
4: He was walking around the field during warmups. They were showing him during the. Uh... The preamble, I guess, and he was gimping around, and they were talking about how he was wearing different shoes, and you could see, like, this big-ass wrap he had in his front left ankle. He just could not move early on. Yeah, That was the thing I think I forgot, that, like, Ben was just not
3: anywhere near 100%. Yeah. It was hard for me to forget that fact, but what I forgot... (laughs) specifically was Alden Smith had eight quarterback hits in that game I and mean, that's a video game-like number. Oh my god. It, 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 it totally backs up what you saw on the screen, but when you see that, I mean eight, they threw the ball 44 times. So he hit the quarterback one of every five drop backs that he had, I mean that, that's that's unreal. And it, you, you saw it the, the entire game, he beat Max Starks almost into retirement, it, it was, he, he was unreal when he was young. He was so hard to defend. And he, what what's interesting about him, I think, this game shows it too, the the evolution of the physical build of an edge rusher. You know, yeah. we didn't even call him edge back then. You know, it wasn't the all capital edge that we read today. <laughs> he was an outside linebacker. You know, he was still the D E slash O L B traditional definition of what he was doing. He was he was just a remarkable player, and I, I one that unfortunately didn't quite live up to I think the the potential that he could have had but just a a memorable performance on monday night
4: yeah they talked about um jaworski said something about smith looking like a hall of famer gruden said during the broadcast that smith uh like he hadn't seen an edge rusher or pass rusher in a 49ers uniform play like that since charles haley um so yeah the the hype around alden smith was real after this one
2: yeah, Gr- yeah, Gruden, what did he say? He's like, by the end of this game, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame if he keeps this up. Right.
4: Yeah, I think that was another another good one from Jaws. Um, the, the play that I didn't remember, that I really didn't remember until I rewatched, was the Steelers player who was flagged for trying to jump over Mike Potty on a field goal to make it 16-3 to in the fourth quarter. Um, and then it gave the 49ers a first down, and then they scored Frank Gore's touchdown. Uh, to make it twenty to three, which was ended up being the final score, of course. Um, I had forgot that happened. I didn't. I didn't remember that because I was rewatching. I was like sixteen to three. How did they get to twenty? That's impossible.
2: <laughs> it's, it, it, it's Two safeties by Alden that. Smith was on the table, though. Right, right. It's interesting that you say that because
3: Harbaugh went nuts after one of their field goal attempts early. Yeah, he did. They did, did try right. that, and that that's probably what got it. But what it it kind of spiders off into the the real kind of chinzy, illegal blocking penalty that they called on Frank Gore, the uh, the cut right. block yeah. that they got that kind of that set a lot of wheels in motion in terms of, of how exactly you're defining that it's supposed to be two gaps over it was clearly only one I wasn't sure why that was called but it, that that stands out to me just because you, you saw that called a lot more that season I think than than you had in the past. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh had a thing for arguing with Russ. I don't know I don't know if people remember uh, that.
2: I wanna okay, let's stay th- let's stay there because I wanted to mention the two challenges that Harbaugh lost, and this is a good place <laughs> to put those. So Harbaugh I don't think we've seen him win a challenge yet, Chris. Not on older. We've done five of these. Up. He went he went four for eleven on the season on challenges. So Which the first incredible. one the first one, they did that <clears throat> uh, roll right throwback left to Vernon Davis who leaked out the backside of the formation I think they they ran that play maybe half a dozen times in 2011 and it worked every time and Davis got run down from behind and kind of just had his route to the end zone altered enough that he just stepped on the sideline before he could get into the end zone Harbaugh challenges it overturned it was maybe challengeable but like you're getting the ball on the one
4: there and was no a good yeah, run game.
2: The, the thing was,
4: I think Jim Harbaugh was just impulsive with the challenges and thought, if there's a chance this can overturn, then I'm gonna take it because there was no definitive like a theme for Jim Harbaugh's challenges is there's no definitive viewpoint in his favor. It seems like it was just kind of a gut feeling. And maybe it had something to do with the fact that Candlestick was ancient and didn't have these giant LED super HD scoreboards right. now. They had, like,
2: a 32-inch TV in the corner yeah,
4: of the Yeah, and the 49ers have, like, a whole coaching booth upstairs now that's tricked out with all everything they need. Probably didn't have that at Candlestick, so maybe that was part of it. But, like, yeah, like, challenging the play to argue that Vernon Davis was in And costing yourself a timeout and then scoring the next play from the half-yard line was just a a very, very standard Jim Harbaugh practice at that point, early in his NFL coaching career.
2: The second one came with under three and a half minutes to go, and the 49ers ahead 20-3 to on the Terrell Brown interception. They said that he was down on the two... He was trying to argue
4: that it was a touchback because Brown right. caught it, went into the end zone, um, right. but the Niners got the ball at the, at the two-yard line because Brown had two feet in the field of play before crossing the goal line um, when he caught it. Right. And Harbaugh challenged that for some reason. It was he, didn't, z- he didn't need timeouts at that point, but he really, really didn't want the Steelers with like three minutes left down 17 points. To have the advantage of the 49ers only having the ball at their two-yard line.
2: <laughs> Just a <laughs> weird couple of challenges by Jim Harbaugh that that needed to be pointed out. All right, offensive player of the game, Neil. I'll let you pick one for the Steelers. Uh, <laughs> Chris, <laughs> okay. unless, unless you don't want to. I we'll mean, flip up to you. Coin here. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you figure that out. Uh, Chris, mine was mine was Vernon Davis. He had the the one-yard touchdown catch, the play after the bad challenge, six catches, 72 yards. He showed a lot of grit to get a first down on that one catch that I mentioned earlier. (laughs) So Vernon Davis is my offensive MVP here. Alex Smith, by the way, 18-31, to a buck 87, and a touchdown. Just a prime Alex Smith game. All right.
4: Uh, I'm going to go with somebody who didn't touch the ball once and who's not an offensive lineman. Um, Delaney Walker had a great game. He had a Give lot us your galaxy really, brain
2: taker. He had good. a
4: lot of really good blocks. They ran the ball a whole lot of times. He just looked like, I mean, when they ran to hit, they, they had one big run uh, to the left side, and it was largely because of a Delaney Walker block, and I thought he blocked his ass off, and because there wasn't really anybody else deserving of offensive player of the game, I'm going to the guy that I remembered for looking like he actually played really well in the Niners' offense without touching the ball, and to me, that was Delaney Walker in this game. Go back and watch the game, and watch watch what 46 I just did! And tell me, no, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to a listener. Go back and watch 46 and the tell listener, me whether or not he had a good game. Because I thought he played really well. And he had a really good special teams tackle weight that pinned the Steelers deep inside uh, their own territory. That's an offensive like award,
2: not a special teams award. I don't care. Shout out to Delaney Walker. <laughs> Uh, Neil, who is the Steelers' offensive player of the game? I'm fascinated. Honestly, I, I thought
3: Mendenhall played pretty yeah. well. Rashard Mendenhall had what 18 touches, 89 yards. He didn't get in the end zone like the rest of his teammates did. Uh, considering the competition that he's going
2: against. Uh, yeah, 89 yards, yeah. He,
3: he made a few guys miss on a few plays, which is not an easy thing to do against a, a front seven that, that's as active as San Francisco, and a back seven that, that can move anywhere on the field they, they tackle well uh, he made a few guys miss I thought he did pretty well you know it, all things considered not a terrible game for him they just you know they're, they're behind for a good chunk of, of well they're behind the whole game but they're they're out by 10 plus for most of the second half um, he wasn't going to be utilized as much as I think they had hoped to you had mentioned before that the first drive that they had they looked really good he was a big part of that I, I thought yeah. um, they wanted to get him 25 plus touches in the game. Uh, he would have been well over 100 yards for that, and hopefully get him in the end zone. That might have been a winning effort for him. And it wasn't his fault that they fell short of that. I thought he did pretty well.
2: I I just noticed this. This doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but Ben Roethlisberger completed five passes to running backs, Mendenhall and Waldemore, and then five each to Jericho Cotchery, Heath Miller, Mike Walson, and Antonio Brown. Everybody had five catches. I just thought that was a fun, even distribution by Ben <laughs> Rothisberger. Good on, good on Big Ben. You Defensive player.
3: Zero touchdowns. <laughs> it worked out
2: great. Yeah. <laughs> I did, I did Antonio Brown dropped a pass over the middle that I think would have yeah. gone for six.
3: The, Brown also had that, um, uh, the one in the sideline. I don't know if you remember that. Oh one. yeah, you, you see yeah. the flashes of him early. An yep. incredible catch, and it was it was razor close. I mean, they're yeah. they're right to call it incomplete. His hand comes down just a nanosecond before his other foot hit, and yeah, you didn't that was a see him. Catch. You you saw him getting the benefit of those those calls early. I think if if that was ruled to catch on the field, they would have kept it. It was that close, but it would have been just a phenomenal catch. I think that was a third down ball too.
2: And in in hindsight, watching. It's and, and this is the benefit of having a decade worth of, you know, production from these guys since. But watching, like you said, watching now in 2020, the signs are all there. It's like, oh, of course, this guy is going to be really damn good. Look at all these things he's really good at. He had a couple of nice. He had a punt, good punt return, a couple of nice kick returns. He had that really good non catch on the sideline. Um, You could have seen it coming with Antonio Brown if you're paying attention. That's what I was getting at there. Uh, Chris, do you have anything else, or can we move on to DPOY? Um, DPOG. Alex Smith was
4: bad. We should probably point that out. He's Eighteen not of good. thirty-one, one hundred eighty-seven yards, missed at least two touchdowns. Um, he had one good drive on the on the scoring drive to Davis, which we which we mentioned, including two throws to him, and then a long screen to Kendall Hunter. But uh, not a good Alex Smith game just we hadn't mentioned him yet uh just thought i would throw that out there
2: i mentioned him but that's fine okay um sometimes yeah no i can tell uh defensive (laughs) i would too uh alden it's it's all it's alden smith for me 10 pressures two and a half sacks eight quarterback hits two tackles for loss he's really good
4: defensive mvp for sure
2: yeah
3: or neil who is the Steelers'
2: defensive mvp
3: um, if I were to give one, it was kind of a nondescript game for the defense, and they, yeah. they were known for that that year. It really was kind of a team right. more than individuals. But I, I thought Polamalo did a real good job against the run. Um, didn't have to do much except kind of be around Vernon Davis when he caught the ball he seemed to to fall down in place a lot (laughs) give give him credit for that I'd probably give it to Polamalu but just to to note this just because I'm laughing we made a lot of jokes back in the day about uh, Steelers punter Jeremy Kapanos. I forgot he was on this team um his line in that game, thirty-eight and a half and a half yard average, one inside the 20. Andy Lee, 47-and-a-half-yard average, four inside the 20. That, <laughs> I think three inside the 10. That a factor in this game. And one of, them, one of them was legitimately one of the best punts I've ever seen. I think it was probably about 50 yards. He put it at the two, and that thing kicked straight to the side. Just a perfect punt. He Andy was really Lee was
2: – I think he's been our player of the game like two or three times. Andy Lee was one of
4: the 2011 49 – like, Five most important players on that team.
3: We had in, in a game like this, that's huge. It was absolutely massive. huge. The Steelers yeah. had no offense anyway; they weren't going to go anywhere, starting at the five. That's for sure. Right. And
2: he, we, he was putting them there all game. We had this running joke with our with with my friends because the Niners' offense was so bad that Harbaugh, when he would run on third and seven was just trying to get the ball in the hands of the 49ers' best player, Andy Lee. <laughs> that's not that even a the, joke. I know, that was, <laughs> It's like, it's the, the hey, we can is, swing field position here.
4: <laughs> uh, I do want to say that because Neil mentioned Troy Palomalo, it was just a joy to watch him play football again. He's so good. He was so much fun to watch. He's From that era, he's got to be one of the two or three most fun defenders just to watch fly around the field and, and make plays. And, and I know Neil could probably go on forever, but I just want – like if, if you do go back to watch old games or like highlights on YouTube or something, look up Troy Pamallo because he was incredible. Anyway. Moving on. Uh,
2: MVP of the game for me was Alden Smith. He just he was everywhere all the time. and when rewatching the game, I, like, usually when we do these recaps, Neil, I, I don't think you listen to a lot of Candlestick Chronicles, but usually when we recap these games, we have half a dozen, maybe 10 plays that kind of stand out and we talk about them and, oh, this happened. I rem- I just watched this game and I, re- I there, nothing stood out as remarkable to me except for how good Alden Smith was. So he's my MVP.
3: First off, I do listen to Candlestick Chronicles and everybody else who's listening should listen next time as well because the show would be much better when I'm not on it. I remember, (laughs) as far as Alden Smith goes, there are times when you're watching your team, you're cheering for your team... And by the end of the game, it, it's almost like a Rocky IV thing happens to you. you. You swing around, you start rooting for the opponent a little bit. That was me with Alden Smith by the end. It's like, don't kill Ben Roethlisberger, but my God, this is fun. It's just <laughs> insane how how easily it is for you to get to the quarterback. You're going through three different guys to somehow still take him down. He, he was that, that's one of the best defensive games you'll ever see. I mean, he was he was out of his mind. He had there was a, a Monday night
4: game against the Chicago. Bears the next season, which was Colin Kaepernick's starting debut. He had five and a half sacks in that game.
2: He literally, 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 uh, beat Chalo Rashal into retirement. Former 49ers draft pick. Chalo Rochelle didn't play another game after that night. I'm not like that's not even that's not even a joke. He was really good. Just if you go to his career, awesome. it, you go go to go to Chalo Rochelle's career game logs, week eleven, uh, 2012 November 19th at San Francisco is a 37 to 2 loss he played 100% of the offensive snaps and then he's done
4: (laughs) (laughs) well I don't think he was playing left tackle at that point
2: Uh, I remember he got beat specifically by Alden Smith several times maybe on stunts or something okay Uh, is that it? Don't, don't, well, actually, me. Neil, do you, do you (laughs) want to give us so? I have, I have a couple of Steelers fan stories, but let's let Neil talk first. (laughs) Okay. Well,
4: I, no, why don't you get to your Steelers fan stories? Because I wanted to spin it forward to this season because both the 49ers and Steelers look like they're going to be contenders again.
2: Yeah. TJ Watt, good player. Uh, okay. So, as I mentioned, this place was crawling with Steelers fans. And, um, the two people directly in front of us were both Steelers fans, decked out in gear, waving the waving the the, the towel, towel things, um, the towel t- the things. uh, towels. <laughs> uh, no, waving their terrible towels. When Roethlisberger threw, uh, no, when Roethlisberger fumbled. Right around that time, they bounced. They just dipped. <laughs> um They were they were up the whole game, waving their terrible towels. They were loud, and they were doing their thing. And it was like that happened, and it was like a switch went off, and they just grabbed their stuff, and they left. Um, There was also a guy behind us who the 49ers that season, if you remember— finished 30th in the league in red zone touchdown percentage at 40.7 percent and both times they got into the red zone and they kicked a field goal this guy started yelling red zone issues super loud and he was doing that the whole game he was talking (laughs) mad shit and at the end of the game I'm expecting this guy to still be running his mouth. And I'm like, is this guy really going to just like, his team just got beat down like that. And he goes, hey, I'm not even going to lie. has a great game. This is a great team. Y'all are the better team. You know, hope you win the Super Bowl. Great game. Coolest guy ever. It was like as soon as the clock hit zero, he went, oh, well, you know, taking the mask off. I'm actually a cool guy. Um, So I rock with Steelers fans now because of that guy and a little bit because of Neil.
3: I, I totally <laughs> thought that was going somewhere else and most stories I hear usually do
2: <laughs> no I, I did too in the moment I was like oh my god this guy's getting in a fight tonight for sure it's not going to be me I kicked my ass but someone is going to get in this guy's face and at the end of the game it was the coolest it's like alright
4: so Neil because the 49ers and, and Steelers are both contenders um, probably I mean there's a there's a reasonable shot these teams could play in the Super Bowl Like, I, I, probably as good as you know, as good as any, ch- the chances are as good as any chances we can even talk about right now. But just in terms of where you at on the Steelers um, heading into the year, just just like 30 seconds on on what you think they can be, and uh, and your belief whether or not they can get to the Super Bowl.
3: A lot of memorable Steelers games will have happened if they end up in the Super Bowl this year. It, it, it's a real tough AFC, um, but I, I think they've built a strong nucleus of a team coming off the the superstar era that they had I mean you've got a lot of talent A guy like Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell it's not easy to move on from them but it's also not easy to build a team when the ball has to go to those guys as much I I think they brought in the right kind of talent the right kind of players and if they have a quarterback last season I think they're probably an 11 win team so if, if Roethlisberger is able to throw, and guys are able to, to follow his lead, uh, I think they can compete. I, I think they'll they'll be a competitive team. They're gonna have a great defense behind them. We know that. And I think the offense will do a little bit better than the 17 points a game they scored last season, half of which were a miracle in and of themselves. So they, they've got enough to be able to compete. Um, injuries are gonna be a factor. There's a lack of training camp that we're probably gonna see is gonna be a factor, but. Uh, I'd, I'd bet on him winning nine, ten games this year, I think. Um, okay.
4: If you could, uh, my final question if you could describe the Vance McDonald
2: Steelers era in oh, one this word. Oh, that's a great question. What would it be? <laughs> um, inconsistent,
3: I'd say. Okay. That's, um, so, not, so about that's the a,
2: same as his 49ers era. Not yeah.
3: just for Vance, but for the team in general. It, Vance really, it, he. he sold himself well to fans there was a, a game a couple of years ago his first year it might have been first two oh, three games he
2: railroaded he that dude
3: where he uh um he hustled down a block punt they would have gone for a touchdown if not for vance hustling down forced the fumble out of the end zone um i forget if they got the ball back there or not but the, the fact that he was showing that he's going to work that hard on a, on a field goal attempt uh fans like him and then of course there's the the, the hand slap from hell that that we, we've seen posterized many times uh, in and around social media. Uh, I forget which unfortunate Tampa Bay Buccaneers safety it was that he face planted onto the ground, but he's he's done some things to really open himself up to the fans. I mean, you'd hope that uh, he'd be available a little bit more often. I think he's been yeah. fairly decent when he is. I mean, you know, he doesn't have the same expectations on him that 49ers fans do. You know, this. Is I believe it was Chris Conti. Chris Conti, that's it, yes, yes, poor Chris Conti God, so, uh, guys, like, just
4: trying to earn a living The 49ers <laughs> drafted uh, Vance McDonald two spots before the Chiefs took Travis Kelsey <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, But I mean, looking at at his athletic profile, there are plenty of reasons to be excited He just, like you said, he's inconsistent He's probably not as skilled as he is athletic, or at least he wasn't with the 49ers And, uh, and he had drop issues like, significant drop hey, issues with the Niners.
2: Hey, Chris, are you on Mock Draftable looking at Vance McDonald's spider graph?
4: Yes. 100%.
1: <laughs> 100%.
4: Don't, think, do don't think his 34 and three-eighth inch arms are lost on me, or his 10 and 1-8-inch hands.
2: I just remember Vance, I think his first touchdown got called back because of a penalty, and then he had another one where he reached out for it and another Niners receiver banged into him and it dropped in between him. Yeah. Just poor Vance. Tough tough career for him well, in, in San Francisco. Those happen when he's around. Yeah. <laughs> Keep in mind with Kelsey, too,
3: this is one of the best stories I've ever heard. He, before the draft, he was the one telling the story, too. Ozzie Newsome of the Ravens wants to meet with him. And so Kelsey's like, all right, he, he's got a reputation. He got multiple unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in college. Ozzie Newsome sits down, writes something down on a piece of paper, looks up, takes off his glasses, looks at Kelsey dead in the eyes, and just says, son, I have one question. Are you an asshole? Kelsey said he was just shocked. He sat there in silence. He just kind of sputtered out, "Uh, no. (laughs) Newsom (laughs) shut his notebook, got up and left, and (laughs) it was it. Not surprisingly, the Ravens didn't draft him. So maybe maybe Vance was better off at that point for San Francisco. Who knows?
4: (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's it, right? I think that's all we got on that yeah, game. 23 win. So, I'm I surprised actually, we got that
2: much time out of that game, honestly.
4: Well, so <laughs> we should point out, I I think I referenced it earlier. So the Steelers were battling for position. Uh I believe they were the 2 seed going into this game. They lost this game and then won their final two, wound up being the third the sorry, the 5 seed because the Ravens won the division and then Because of this loss, the Steelers wound up being the 5-seed, had to go to Denver in uh, Wild Card weekend, and that was the Tim Tebow game, the Tim Tebow overtime game. So for the Steelers, this was a massive loss. And for the 49ers, this was the game, uh, I mean, had they lost this game, they would have been the 3-seed. They won and ended up winning out after this. um, Got the 2-seed and wound up hosting the New Orleans Saints in the division game which I have to think is going to be uh, on the Old Rush yeah. uh, docket here coming up. but uh, So there were for both teams, there were really significant um, implications for the postseason. So this game that did matter a lot, just zooming out on the 2011
3: season. So just, so just wanted to end with that. Just is the, is the, the Steelers' end of it, too, the, the Ravens had lost to San Diego the day before, too. So oof. they had the, the Ravens had swept the Steelers that year already and they had the, op- the Steelers had the opportunity to take the division with that win. But like I said, I, I, I don't think any Steelers fan really thought they were going to go to San Francisco and win that game. It was wrong team, the wrong time of the year. It came down to, to losing two to Baltimore, a good Baltimore team.
2: Um, is the loss to Denver that year in the playoffs – is that like one of those? I'm bringing it up right now, and you're like wincing because it's one of those losses, like for Niner fans, like the NFC Championship game from this season. Like you just don't want to talk about it, shut it down, or is it like, yeah, damn, that happened?
3: I was kind of hoping to talk enough to reach the time limit on the show before that came. Oh, up. there's
2: no time limit. <laughs> it, okay, uh, we don't have Kyle, to talk. You know, we didn't. You know we literally. Deals. I didn't. I didn't even want to dive into the game. I just wanted to know like like if you're like nah like freaking whatever it happened or if it was like yeah don't look at me don't we, talk about it.
4: We actually talked Kyle and I talked
3: about Neil, turning this into a Tim Tebow podcast. That's why we wanted to have you on.
1: <laughs>
3: I've heard that joke I don't know how many times. I I was interviewed by the Christian Science Monitor after that game <laughs> asking about the significance of Tim Tebow's 316 yards and the miracles that he performed on the
2: field. Oh god. I, That's I'm, I'm not making this up. Did out. you did you tell him the miracle was Ike Taylor taking a terrible route?
3: Yes. And you were <laughs> you and me are the only two people on earth who saw that. <laughs> Ike Taylor fell victim twice in that game to air in the mile in, in the mile in the <laughs> I can't even say the words. It it, it the ball carried above him both times. And Taylor was so hot on the idea of scoring a playoff interception off Tim Tebow, he horribly underplayed both balls. He didn't yeah. think they were going to sail because, well, Tim Tebow was throwing them. I don't blame him for that. But it. it bottom line, the Steelers <laughs> lost three defensive linemen during that game. They had to play with two defensive linemen for the entire second half, including one that was pulled off the the practice squad that week. Oof. Mendenhall tore his ACL the week before that, week 17. Their running backs coach was badly burned in a fire 3 days before the game. They had problems and of course <laughs> Ben was hurt. So he, these all, all
2: sound together. like miracles for the
3: Broncos. It, yeah, well, it, <laughs> what you you're say. also you're also playing at mile high against a very right. good defensive team and the, the Broncos were Tebow. Didn't do much that game. He really didn't. He threw the ball high in the air, and the Steelers didn't cover it. And then he threw a, a slant route to a six-four receiver in the open field against a zero blitz, the first play of overtime. Right. So it, yeah. you know, it, good on him for winning the game and everything like that. But for everyone suggesting you lost to Tebow and this and that, it, it's it's a lot more than went into that game that than you want to admit. But nobody's going to hear that because it's the Steelers. It was. Right. That, it, let's put it this way. In a way. I was happy the Steelers lost that game because if they won and they took their, the form that they were in that game to New England the next week, Oof. it would have been sixty-five to nothing. <laughs> and I, I'd rather not win a playoff game than have a season end like that. That's just me.
2: Okay, that's fair,
4: uh, Kyle. Right. I hope you're still employed uh, next week.
2: <laughs> <laughs> bold, bold
4: move! Bold move! Bringing up this game to uh...
2: I didn't like I said. I just wanted to know. We've talked a lot about that Niners-Giants-NFC title game, so I yeah. I thought maybe we could... okay anyways. you guys we're... got the
3: better end of that one, Kyle.
2: It's just me. Mm. Kyle Williams comes up big in situations for the Niners, uh, according to Junkard. <laughs> uh, okay, hey, uh, Neil, <laughs> appreciate appreciate you uh, working with us on, on a weird schedule. Uh, you're the best. Um, thanks for re-watching this game with us. Everybody else, thanks for listening. Uh, Chris, you know, you you were also on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, subscribe, rate, review to Candlestick Chronicles and all the other uh, content on the Blue Wire Network. There's a ton of it, so make sure you're checking it out. Uh, Chris, Neil, thanks, guys. See you next time.